Get ready for your unofficial dental hygiene podcast. These are the tales of two hygienists, one East Coast RDH and one West Coast Gygenist. Listen as they tackle the profession of dental hygiene with humor and enthusiasm. Now, please join Michelle Strange and Andrew Johnston as they tell you a tale of two hygienists. Welcome back, listeners, to episode 55 of A Tale to Hygienist. This is Michelle, and I know you've missed me because I've been on vacation. You know what? I missed you. I really could care less if our listeners missed you. I missed you. You didn't enjoy talking to just the microphone? Do you know how weird that is? And I'm not even kidding you. That little 20-minute intro took me probably almost two hours because, (laughs) because here's the thing, like... You listen to it a little bit, and then you stop it, you delete the whole entire thing, and you're like, start over. This is not going well. <laughs> and then I um, I like, I like, realized how many times I say, um, more, because when you and I talk, you cut me off half the time, so I don't get the chance to say, um. Touche. Yes, so, probably. Buddy, I missed yep. you so much. It was, Man, it was tough. I, I missed uh, being in America a little bit. So, okay, so the whole Nicaragua thing, great. Let's move on. Let's talk about Cuba. (laughs) Cuba is... Cuba is an experience. Apparently, I'm sure everyone goes to every country and has a completely different experience. Um, Every day, I was like, this is the most beautiful... it's It's the oldest buildings I've ever seen. It's like old. It's just old. But you hear old and you think that it's gross, but it was like old and beautiful. Gorgeous. I mean, the vintage cars, just the architecture, the Spanish-inspired architecture, just gorgeous. It's sketchy and exciting. (laughs) It's fascinating and frustrating. I speak very little Spanish and the two other people I were I was with don't speak Spanish either, so we had a serious language barrier that we were fighting through. Um, our, within two minutes of being out of the airport, we got pulled over in our taxi, and no, our taxi driver didn't speak English, or yeah, didn't speak any English. The cop that pulled us over didn't speak very much English, but what I got from his broken English and my broken Spanish was that we couldn't be in that taxi because it was private and we had to be in a government taxi. And so they literally on the side of the road, like we had to get all our luggage out, get into a cab. The other cabbie didn't drive, no, didn't speak English. He didn't, I'd already given the address, like the, the Airbnb person set up the taxi to take me there. (laughs) So now I had to like figure out how to get there and we hadn't exchanged money yet. So I, I was like, what, what the hell is happening did, right now? Did you end up paying the first cab a little bit like part money or you're like, no, nothing. They were just whoa. like this, you're, you're lost. And we, it took us two hours to go through customs. So that dude had been waiting out there for that long. And I don't understand like, how did they know? Like, well, they were pulling like over a bunch of people. Or... And so I don't know. I, I really don't. I actually didn't know we were pulled over. I, I, it was like, I was like, why? What's happening? We're pulled over? 
wait, what? And I look behind me and there's cops. I was like, oh, Jesus. So that happened. Um, that was the first day. Kind of got our stuff together, got to Airbnb, which is wonderful and fantastic. Guy spoke English. That was great. Um, what we discovered while there is that um, there are no markets. There's there's nowhere to get like food and toiletries. Uh, you can go buy water and crackers at the liquor store. So I had no problem finding alcohol at all. Of course not. But wine, or I'm sorry, water, tricky. Uh, just any kind of coffee, couldn't find it. Like it was, they just don't have it. They do not have markets. And we asked, it got to be a game. We asked every person that we encountered and they couldn't, they didn't understand what we were asking and they couldn't tell us where to find it if they did. I mean, they, how, how do the people live there then? I mean, there has to be something. So what was so great about this Airbnb is that they, for $5 a person, they came and cooked us breakfast every morning. That's pretty good. It, and it was good breakfast too. It was great. Um, by two sweet ladies. Love. Oh, it was great. So on the last day, I was like, where do you get this food? Like, do, where did you get? So we would have, like, fresh fruit and fruit juice and eggs. She, they made us, like, ham, um, uh, toast, and they had butter and stuff. I was like, where did you get it? And she goes, you walk. You walk the streets until you find that market that you need food from. So maybe you need dairy, and it's going to be at your beef market. Maybe you need... Fruit and veggies, there's going to be at that market. If you need cleaner of any kind to go scrub their toilets or something, you go to a different market. Like, there is not a a single store that you go to to get it. And coffee is even harder because that could be, I don't know, sold at the liquor store or you have to wait for the cart to come behind the liquor (laughs) store and you buy it out of their trunk (laughs) or something like that. Like, it was, it's... Which is illegal, uh, too. So I was also told that if you're caught doing that, you will you will be in a lot of trouble. And I was like, I just want some coffee, people. Like, Jesus. Like, I was feeding for coffee more than wine at that point. So <laughs> that was quite, quite the experience. So we learned that. So if you go to Cuba and stay in all-inclusive or make sure you got somebody that's going to help find you food, dinner's fine. Like, we could find lunch and dinner. But it was just like breakfast. I was like, how... How do we do this? And we were going on Christmas. So for us, yeah. we were worried that things would be closed for Christmas. And we were like, well, what? we'll just find a market. And when, when we realized we couldn't find a market, um, we were like, what the hell are we going to do on Christmas? Because in America, everything closes down, right? right nothing open. Right. In Cuba, uh, nothing closes down. Not even a little bit. Interesting. Nothing. There there was just as many people out in Cuba and as many places open and having dinner as any other day of the week. So Did you see a lot of tourists and stuff while you were there? Yeah. Yeah. There's a decent amount, but very few Americans. There's definitely more European, Canadian. Um, hmm. Occasionally we would hear English and like our ears would perk up and like, <laughs> I wonder where they're from, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the quite a, a decent amount of tour, a, a lot of Asians as well, um, I, which I don't understand how most people don't speak English because that's kind of like the universal 
ish. Like most people know English as a second language if it's not their first. It's just us stupid Americans that don't know that second language. Amen. But I speak two languages, so... eh. Yeah, well, what are you going to do outside of the Philippines with that? Dude, I've used so much of my Philippine skills in this little... You can find me some Filipino food when I go somewhere, because I love Well, when you come up to the Seattle area, I'll show you everything. I love it. There's so much up here. So we also learned that there are government-run and private-run facilities. And if the private run gives a commission to anyone that brings tourists in there. So let's say a restaurant, for instance. Mm-hmm. You go in the cab and you say, or somebody on the street or somebody, do you have any recommendations what's good around here? They're going to take you to the private restaurant that they know that gives the most commission. Interesting. Yeah, that's, we found that's that That's pretty out. cool, actually. Or annoying as all hell. People don't like that. No, and they're not allowed to, if that's the case, they're not allowed to go into that government establishment. It's, Wait, it's, what? So there's some frequent people. So like, for instance, on Christmas night, we walked to go to this tower that, has like a sky view of Havana and mm-hmm. we are on the way and this random Cuban guy comes up and he's like, Oh, where are you from? And we're like America. And they're like, Americans, we love Americans. And he's talking to us and he's like, Oh, where are you going? We're going like, we're going to tower. It's like, Oh, you should try this place. You're not going to get into the tower. If you don't have reservations, you're not going to get in there. And he's talking us out of it. And He's like, try this place, try this place. And we're like, well, we'll go for a drink there. And we go in there and we sit down and we look at the prices and they're way too expensive for all the other things that we've found. And we're like, oh, yeah, we're probably just going to eat here. And the servers got so mad at us and they wouldn't even bring us the beers. Because this guy has brought us in there and now that they're not going to get much money and this guy's going to expect a commission from it. So... It's it's so, so, so weird. We got pulled over on the way to the beach one of the days. And we we're not really sure why we got pulled over. But we we got we were pulled over and our driver spoke some decent English. And I was like, why? And he's like, uh, my headlights were on. I was like, oh, well, OK. And I thought he got a ticket, but he got back in the car he goes, he takes us, and he waits for us. We're at the beach four hours at least. He waits for us, and he, we go to leave, and he's like, you're done, you're done? And we're like, yeah, we're done. We're, we're, we can go back now. So he runs inside to this little restaurant that's on the corner and grabs soda and crackers. And I, I just assumed it was for him, like maybe his drive home right. or something. Yeah. And so then we're driving, we're in these old vintage cars, too. So, you know, you're just kind of out looking around. It's so pretty, so different. And we pull over again, and he runs across the street and gives the guard the crackers and the soda. Like as a bribe? Like so he didn't get in trouble? So he didn't get a ticket. I was like, what is happening? Wow. At any given time, I only know about 30% of what's happening. 
And that that's that's really stretching it. And so, of that thirty percent, half of it is, sounds corrupt. Oh, it's it's it was so crazy. It was. I had a great time. Old Havana, absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Riding around in those vintage cars was fantastic. The downside is everything is diesel. So you oh. step outside and you already reek of diesel. You Your hair falls flat. There's just so much stuff in the air. So every night mm-hmm. I was getting like these really weird headaches. And I was like, God, and my throat hurts and it's all scratchy. I was like, God, I must be getting sick. But then we'd go to the beach and I'd be fine. And I think it was that there's everyone smokes cigars and cigarettes there and everything is diesel. So you just get blasted with fumes constantly. So that was different. That was a hard thing to adjust to. Something every single day happened every single day. So now that you're back though, would you, is this a, you've checked it off your bucket list and now you're done doing it or now I've done it. I'd really like to go again and maybe bring someone that speaks Spanish with me. Yeah. If someone was like, I'm going to Cuba, you've been, do you want to go? Prerequisite is that they speak fluent Spanish, not just a little broken, like fluent Spanish. I've definitely been very sheltered in my travels in the sense that I've always had somebody that spoke the language. Yeah. Or at least where I went that they, they spoke pretty decent English. So I've never had to adapt, honestly. I mean, that that's reality. I haven't really had to adapt because I always had somebody that was there spoiled. to help. Super I know. Spoiled. This was a slap in the face, I'm going to tell you. Um, it, honestly, if I go back, Havana's great for a day. I would do that again. Um, but I, I would travel to, like, Trinidad, which is the southeast side of Cuba. Cuba's freaking long as hell. It's, like, almost the size of Florida, which I did not know. It is? It's huge. It's so, it's like a long, hmm. skinny little country or island. Um, but I would, uh, I would go there. So that takes about a four-hour drive to go to the tobacco fields where you can roll your cigars. It's about a two-and-a-half-hour hmm. drive from Havana to go to Veridado, Veridado Beach. That's another, like, two hours. So if I go, I would give myself time, more time, so I could go to those places and enjoy them. Or just be prepared to spend a lot of money on travel. So there, well, there's that. Yeah, and you couldn't like fly from Havana to like, I don't know. The Down other side. there's um, <laughs> Guantanamo, one airport, but then it's still two hour drive from the other airport. So no matter what oh you're driving, yeah, yeah. So nothing's nothing's easy to get to wow. at all. But that's in a, a lot of other countries. No, God, no. Everything is those old vintage cars with um, no power steering, no power brakes, like shift, Love column shift. Oh, they were beautiful. I loved riding in those cars. Um, it was kind of crazy because I don't know how they get parts for them, though. And I kept trying to ask they, people, but again, the language barrier was not not great. Did they have, like, radios or anything inside the cars? Yeah, they all had CD players with USB drives. Oh, and the internets. The intranets there is pretty much 
a joke. Like you, you were like, did you download? I was like, let, let me just explain to you that I can barely send text messages and I have the international plan and you pay for cards. Like it's not free Wi-Fi or anything. Like you pay for every hour that you're on the internet. It's like $3 an hour and you get these cards and they have a code. And if you don't log out, it's like the old international calling cards. Like if you don't log out, right. you're going to like lose your minutes. And it, so you only have so much so much time and so much so many megabytes that you're allowed to have. And you could always like tell there's an internet hotspot. I I don't even think it was that I I couldn't send some pictures, let alone download a podcast. Like the big joke was like we're running out of like music on our iPhones. Like we've listened to the same songs over and over, like, you know, in the house or on the beach or whatever. And I was like, just play Pandora. I don't understand. What's the problem? <laughs> just stream it. I'm like, gosh, we're so spoiled. So spoiled. But the cool thing is, is when I was there, uh, Christy Bailey from PDT was there too. Or we oh, overlapped each other by a day. Wait, hold on. So you did see her or you did not see her? I did. So we were supposed to see her. She actually ended up getting sick. Um, She drank the water. Um, (laughs) And FYI, people, to drink water, to make it clean, it is a rapid 10-minute boil. It has to be boiling for 10 minutes. And I didn't know that until I went to Uganda. and I had to teach people there how to get clean water but yeah 10 minutes so if you're going to another country you can't find bottled water which they couldn't that's why she drank it um Mm -hmm. like they were out of bottled water so there's that too i'm actually really stupid excited to like get water from my faucet (laughs) i feel like there's other ways that you could do it i mean there's like those camping purifier things you take with you too there's a lot of things out there but yeah but you just got to be prepared for that kind of stuff yeah yeah so, so that's Cuba. That, Go and enjoy, but be prepared and speak Spanish. It was a long, long few weeks without you, buddy. Yeah. And um, so you sent me a an implant question, though. I did send you an implant question. So I'm going to try and describe this. Okay, let me. So, yeah. Okay, hold on. Back up. So I had a patient that. So. It's interesting because now that we've been talking more and more about implants, I've been seeing them more and more. And oh. I'm not sure if it's just... How serendipitous. I'm actually doing quite a bit more like hygiene now than I have in the past. And so maybe that's just you know percentage numbers or whatever. Or the doctor that I was working with before had a bunch of established patients that were in really good health. But now I'm going to like see like a lot of new patients who have been just coming to our practice or whatever. And they, you know, there's just a lot of stuff. Anyways, so I sent you this picture that you didn't get while you were in Cuba, but you got later. And basically what I was seeing was as I was doing probing, so probings were actually within normal limits. I think there might've been like one, four or something like that. Really tight tissue around the implant. Um, and it was actually kind of the only thing I don't like about implants in general. And this could be just a me thing, like just cause I'm learning how to do things when the crown is really bulbous and this one was actually almost like, I don't think it was ideal, but it was like a, it was like a premolar and a half. Like there was such a wide gap that they were just trying to to, to span it and get contact with both teeth. And it just wasn't that great. 
Anyways, so the lingual surface looked like it was like a V shape, but it wasn't. It's almost like when you see like the V shape recession on the linguals of the lower anteriors, but it didn't go all the way down to the exposed root or in this place, the exposed implant or onto the palate. This was a palatal one. It was like almost like it was notched out maybe like a quarter millimeter deep. And then there was gum tissue underneath that as well. And it looked really, really red. And I know my pictures didn't show it to be as red as it really was. I didn't have a great camera. But I had no idea what that was. Do you know if there was history of implantitis or mucositis? No idea. Did not ask those or, questions. I'm not smart enough to know to ask those questions. Or history of retreatment of surgery? Not that I'm aware of. I feel like it was a recent one too. So I would have to get it the looked case like again, but it, two different yeah. things. It could have been in my thoughts was one, it's chronic inflammation where granulation tissue has healed and it gets okay. inflamed and it heals and it gets inflamed. Like it looked, it looked almost like a scar like kind of tissue to me. Okay. It didn't look normal, right? Like it, it didn't did look, look like normal. the normal palatal tissue mm-hmm. or it was how the tissue was sutured. It's hard. So that there was secondary healing. Like so there wasn't, no, but you, so it was, there wasn't like primary healing. Maybe there was um, a suture pulled and there was like that secondary granulation or that fill in. Doesn't yeah. it, do you see what I'm talking about? I think, yeah, sorry, I was, just, I was just pulling it up. I think that that actually could be, I wonder if we can maybe post this picture. It, I mean, mm-hmm. it could be. Get everybody's opinion. But honestly, it looks like a patient that I had a very similar um, case, and it was uh, chronic inflammation. So it was like it would get inflamed, and then it would heal. And they would inflame. And if she wasn't meticulous with her home care because of the shape of mm-hmm. it, uh, it would always just continue to have that perimucositis. Mm. Didn't lose bone, but she definitely was kind of in that like healthy inflamed, healthy inflamed. And it created like this yeah. scar like type granulation tissue, even though it wasn't granulation tissue, but it's where it had been. Mm. So it was almost like a scar. Well, I'll keep following up with that, and I'll ask for more questions when next time I, I see him. But um, I, it's humbling <laughs> and it's embarrassing when I have stuff like this where I feel like I should know this, but I don't well, know the answer to it. Ask me something about right. restorative, and I will give you a blank stare. No, I did a lot, maybe. and you'll hear this on the podcast because I recorded, but I... Did a lot of glass ionomer, and I was like, this freaking sucks. I would love to go back and see how much of that is still there. I did a lot more. Um, I I definitely, I learned my my parameters for sure. I was, because I was like, things were falling. I was like, that's too big. I I screwed it up on the last one. Obviously, I don't have the skills or the material. I don't know which one it is because, you know, you're working in such you know, crazy conditions, but I learned my, I was learning as I was going 
for sure. Well, for sure. When you when you come this way, you should just like hang out with me in my office for a little bit, and I'll show you some fillings, show you how it's done. I need to know glass ionomer though. I don't need to know everyday fillings. We do glass ionomer. We do Fuji two and Fuji nine. In fact, I just did a Fuji two today. But that's the light cure one. But ah well, and from here on out with Nicaragua, if you anyone ever comes with me. Uh, we have electricity. That's like now a Yay. thing that they are doing, mainly because everybody was dying of heat strokes. So they have to have some kind of <laughs> oh. fan. Everybody <laughs> oh, was just no. struggling. So well, that'll be good. Yeah. So we have electricity. So in the future, I can bring more equipment that would help facilitate some of those well, d- and more like difficult restorative. Our piezo. Our piezo, yeah. Yep. That's good. Did it work pretty well when you were down there? Good. It didn't, yeah, yeah. Everything was great. It was awesome. So, all right. Anything else? Pretty good episode. Yeah. We, We love when we have return guests. Like, that's so cool. I love that we're at a point where we can have return guests. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and the thing was, like, I was, um, I was, because the last podcast or the last episode that we did with Uchi is, was really good. And I was kind of wondering where we we're going to go through from here. Cause I feel like this, he speaks on this so much that like how much material possibly is there. And then at the end, I'm like, oh crap, just scratch the surface yet again. Uh-huh. And so, and, and the thing is, I think we promised our listeners last time that we'd speak on the second pillar. And we actually didn't even touch, well, we kind of touched a little bit of the topic, but yeah, we didn't even talk about the, the second pillar. This is more like New Year's resolution and, um, you know, the oral systemic links in general, like like high level overview. Yep. And diet and taking care of yourself, how mm. important that is so you can take care of your patients. Practice what you yeah. preach. Yeah. Hey, Michelle. Yeah. It's time for the interview. Oh, but I had something else to say. We need to let the experts talk now. Fine. So, listeners, we have a return guest. Um, you probably remember Dr. Uche Odiatu. He was with us at RDH Under One Roof. Uh, and we're excited to have a return guest because this is a first, I think. Right, Andrew? I think it is, yeah. yeah. So, if you are not familiar with um, Dr. Odiatu or Uche, you said we could call you that in the last episode. Um, he is um, an author of the Miracle of Health and Fit for the Love of It. This uh, practicing dentist is a NSCA certified personal trainer and a professional member of the American College of Sports Medicine. He lectures at all the major conferences. In the last six weeks, he was in Las Vegas, Norway, Washington, D.C., Philadelphia. Uh, you can also friend him on Facebook at facebook.com slash Odiatu, and that's spelled O-D-I-A-T-U, or I'm sorry, A-T-U, right? Follow um, his tweets also on at Fit Speakers, and then you can also go to his website, which is www.dr.uche.com. And the last time, we were talking about breathing and breath and things like that, and then with the new year coming up, we kind of wanted to touch a little bit on diet because that's a big thing that comes out. But 
looking more at what we as professionals can, how we can use that with our patients and how diet really affects inflammation. So welcome back, Dr. Uche. Well, it's good to be back. I, I love sharing with you last time. That was back in July. So, and I thought you know, at the beginning of the year, like what better time to talk about lifestyle. And when you talk about lifestyle, when you talk to patients about lifestyle, it helps if you're on your own journey, because if you're just talking from the pulpit and not practicing, it, there's a bit of a disconnect. But I think when you're working on your own self and you're meeting obstacles, breaking through them, you're such a good teacher, uh, such a good sharer and a presenter. Absolutely. I think that's good. I mean, and I, we did touch a little bit about that on the last interview with, you know, like making sure that we're drinking enough water and um, finding ways for us to stretch. And because if we're not taking care of ourselves, then we ultimately can't take care of our patients. Um, so what can we do as healthcare professionals um, to kind of get this ball rolling? And I mean, really, what should we be looking at? And the influence diet has with our patients? Well, I believe diet is such a big part of who you are. And we all know patients who come and sit on your chair and you're treating them, either scaling, root planning, giving advice about oral hygiene, uh, nutritional interviewing techniques, motivational interviewing. And for some reason, you know, there's a disconnect. Either they're continuing to get decay every time they come in for recare. They're continuing to come in with, you know, bleeding and hemorrhaging all over the, the bib. Um, you're frustrated. The patient says they're flossing, they're flossing, they're brushing. And you're thinking, okay, is the patient deceiving me or what's going on? Well, they've shown now that um, looking at the host, looking at the patient as a whole, looking at lifestyle is such a fundamental way. And it could be the missing link for many healthcare providers that you think you're, you're doing the right things. The oral hygiene instructions are given. The patients are even following them, or so they say. <laughs> but it's amazing how when the diet's not there, it sabotages everything. It literally sabotages everything. There's, there's articles to show that uh, uh, people have a lot of a diet of high refined carbohydrates, trans fats. Uh, they will have more inflammation than someone who has uh, a, a whole complete uh, diet. Oh, absolutely. And sugar plays such a huge role. And you, it's, you're hard pressed to find many foods without added sugar these days. And that's the tough one because, you know, you know, this whole holiday season is full of, of treats, you know, traditional traditions almost always involve food. You, you, you talked about someone's uh, Hanukkah, you talked about someone's Christmas dinner and right away their eyes get misty. They start getting beads of sweat on their forehead and they talk about grandma's this or mother's that. And it's funny how food is, I know it's a big part of the social aspect. It's a big part of tradition, but I, I really believe that it's the experiences, it's the conversations you have. I think on my deathbed, I'm not going to talk about, you know, the appetizer at some meal. I'm going to talk about my conversation with dad or my conversation with mom or someone sitting on my knee. So I, I think we're all almost marketed death about the food aspect, but I think we're missing the forest for the trees. I think um, food should be an accent. Many, many times it gets the forefront and hence 70% of us are either overweight or obese. Yeah. Yes. So when you encounter that patient. Well, first off, what are some of the major signs that diet could be affecting the person's oral health? I think we all kind of know, but just a, a refresher, especially for our new graduates or our students that might be listening. Okay. Well, I'm going to reference because it's not just my information. I'm reading this. I'm, I, I, like, I love looking at the complicated journals. I like taking out 
stuff that makes sense. And I love making it into storytelling so patients and myself and my audiences can understand. There's a great article. If anyone just went to JADA, Google JADA, uh, Journal of American Dental Association, there's a great article in February 2009, and it was authored by Chapel, C-H-A-P-P-L-E. And I'll give you the title. It was uh, Nutritional uh, Modulation of Periodontal Inflammation. So it's February 2009. So even if you're not a member, you can still get the abstract. It's about a five-page abstract. And in it, it's said that if someone has a diet of high refined carbohydrates, it will show up in the mouth as an exaggerated inflammatory response, uh, independent of oral hygiene and independent of frequency of hygiene, uh, professional hygiene, scaling, and uh, profi. So um, diet is an independent risk factor for inflammation in the mouth. If you have that patient, because you just said, and we all know this, that food, it's, a, it's an emotional connection a lot of times. And that's a hard conversation to have with a patient. And I I do know that the idea of the motivational interviewing is starting to come a little bit more to the forefront of what we as professionals need to be doing with our patients, that it's not a like one size fits all game. But when you start talking about obesity and you start bringing up weight how how can we do that without it being awkward? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a sensitive subject for sure. You know, and, and just to reference this article again, it said um, the natural biofilm, um, especially if it's there in abundance, can initiate inflammation. But all the destruction, all the destruction, Chapel says, he's an MD, he's a, sorry, he's a DMD, he's a PhD. All the destruction comes from a hyperinflamed host. So a host that's on fire. Uh, so with diet being a big part of that, if I see, I come into an exam as a dentist and I see the bib that's um, lots of blood on it. I see my hygienist, you know, lots of blood on the gloves and, um, and I see the words three months recare and they just gone over instructions about oral hygiene and the patient's frustrated because they're saying, why is this not working? And I said, well, and I can mention the word diet and you can mention sometimes sugar is a sensitive word too, because people often think sugar is added sugar. Meanwhile, the reason why we don't see a lot of sugar containers on restaurant tables anymore is because it's all in the food now. You know, 30 years ago, growing up, you had to add sugar. Now it's in everything. I think it said it's in 75% of all the foods in a grocery store, sugar is in it. Totally. So if I, uh, yeah, so if I, so if I tell patients that, uh, that um, in the diet, many times refined carbohydrates can support inflammation or can cause inflammation in the mouth, patients know what I'm talking about. And we're not talking about body fat. We're just acknowledging that their diet might have a lot of refined carbohydrates in it. And then you start the discussion going from there. And it's also tricky a little bit um, because I actually had a friend tell me this the other day. She's like, I, my kid started getting all these cavities and I, I thought I was doing the right thing, but what I was giving them was like craisins and dried fruit and different things like that. So Sometimes you really have to walk the patient through what what that is, what that looks like, what a diet that is less in sugar or could really start to affect that patient. And is is it kind of different for everyone too? It's a tough one because you know you got to think um, it's hard enough to get someone to do something that you spend a lot of time with. You have, you have a best friend that has a habit. How do you start changing that person with your best friends as a habit? So how do you, if you have a, a hygiene patient, you know, 35 minutes, 45 minutes to an hour, how can you change their life? And food is a big part of who we are. 
how we, how do we ha even have the nerve to think we could change their habit within a few minutes? I often think all I can do is plant the seed. And I'm not looking for a miracle every hygiene visit or every restorative visit. I'm looking at the fact, if I'm, if I'm and I, I like to look at patients as a long-term relationship. I think a lot of dentists get frustrated when a patient says no to the four crowns during a hygiene recall exam. Like, it takes a dentist four months to buy a pair of headphones, you know, and sell for headphones. <laughs> How can you expect a patient to say yes to a $4,000 treatment plan in eight minutes or two minutes for crying out loud? So I'm all about planting the seed and going from there. Little baby steps. Uh, I, I'm also a big fan of the Keystone Habits, where you just start start a little something, and when you start to feel or see the effect of that one habit, it moves to a next one, and a next one, and a next one. So maybe it's try drinking 32 ounces of water today, and see how much better you feel. You might be feeling less tired. You might need less coffee in the afternoon. Things like that, and then build from there. Was that some, is that kind of like the thought process? Yeah, and I love that. That's from the book. I think Power of is it the Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. Keystone yeah, Habits, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're well read. I like that. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so you know what though? I think sometimes though, um, talking about food is a challenging subject. I think if if someone's naturally lean or naturally muscular, they usually make really poor coaches <laughs> because you don't get what it's like to have that fight in the grocery store with the kind of, you know, powdered donuts in one hand and the whole grain chia seed bread in the other hand. So, you know, I've been overweight. I've been as heavy as 225 pounds. This is going back 20 years ago. So I know what it's like to have that struggle. So I think patients know when you've been there. And I think sometimes the best coaches in the NBA, the NFL, the CFL, the NHL are sometimes never the best players. They're almost always the players who struggle from able to chunk down difficult um, plays into easy bits and they're the ones that can teach better. So I think as a hygienist, as a dentist, if I've struggled myself with diet and I've been successful, I'm a really good coach. But if, I, if I'm naturally lean, naturally muscular, I've, got, I've never had a filling, I've never had to have a tooth out, it's a challenge. I, 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 it's a challenge for that person to be a good coach, coaching someone who's really mired in the swamp of just everyday living. And now I get someone telling me on top of my $300 appointment that I'm not eating right at the grocery store. So. <laughs> right. Well, and you know, also like when you have a struggle and you come out of it, it you become very evangelic with your, you're like an evangelist with your knowledge. You just want to preach it and tell everybody about it. So that makes sense. That definitely makes sense. So here's a question for the new year that I think we as professionals could use ourselves, but then also how we can help teach our patients. Is it diet or is it exercise? That uh, that's a, it's an age-old question. And what they now know is that um, diet is 80% of how you look and feel. So if you want that flat stomach, if you want a six-pack, 80% of that is from diet. You know, exercise, it makes you have better aerobic fitness. It'll make you more muscular. It'll make you more flexible. It'll give you more balance. But it's a false belief to think you can exercise your way out of a bad diet. So diet is really 80%. So I know a lot of people who play a lot of baseball, football, they play hockey, but they still can't manage to lose weight because the diet hasn't been mastered. So if you want to lower the inflammatory load and reduce body fat, it's really done in the kitchen. And that's a, a fundamental challenge that all of us have. And once you master it, life becomes easy. But it's taken me almost 30 years now, and I'm, I'm very good at it. I almost have that Stephen Covey, it's called unconscious competence. But um, when it comes to diet and exercise, in terms of weight loss, diet is 80%. That's a huge number. 80%. 
And I, I do actually believe that. How about you, Andrew? How are you feeling? I know you and I argue about diet and exercise a lot. Well, I don't think that we argue necessarily about diet and exercise. And I think that, um, I don't know. You look at me, I'm not exactly the best at the, the whole diet thing. And, but I do believe it. I, you know, I've tried to, you know, I was a football player. I was a baseball player. I did all of those things and I was always heavy my whole entire life. I was always heavy. And to this day, I haven't mastered the diet part either. And so I believe it could be an 80%. And so it's funny because diet, I actually, so that when I'm with my family, I get health shamed. I'm like, not, I'm not, I don't eat a lot of carbs. I try to eat a very decent diet and I get health shamed by the rest of my family who eats junk and crap in my opinion. And I posted a comic strip kind of thing this morning on Facebook and it was, uh, a guy was like, I'm going to go to McDonald's and his friend's like, okay. And the next one was like, I'm going to go have a cigarette. And the guy was like, okay. The third one was, I'm going to go, um, out and get drunk. And the guy was like, okay. And the fourth one was, I think I'm going to be a vegan. And then the guy was like, oh my God, I met this guy that was a vegan once and his they tried to have kids and they couldn't have kids. And then the baby died. And so pretty much if you become a vegan, you kill babies. And it's like only people, what diet is just a weird, weird thing to discuss. I think it, we're becoming more aware as a society, but I think it's more normal to shame people to be healthier or the struggle to get to that point that healthy and to make those healthy decisions is it's, it's hard. I mean, it's an addiction. Sugar is an addiction for sure. And a lot of households. So what are some like, do you have any key points that maybe these hygienists could just kind of throw out there? Like, well, what if you want to know more information or, just think about this kind of thing that would be helpful for them to start the conversation at least. I think when you reference a third party fact, it's not coming, it's not coming from them. So you can mention there's been an article in our professional journals that said a diet with lots of high refined carbohydrates like sugar is going to have more inflammation. So if you tell the patient, no matter what you do, no matter how well you clean your teeth at home, no matter what your frequency of coming in to see us at the dental office, you'll always have bleeding if you have more sugar in your diet. And all of a sudden the patient's going, so basically it means, not that they could be wasting their money, but they're sabotaging their investment of two minutes in the morning, two minutes at night, and they're sabotaging their two or three or four month frequency visit by having uh, the croissant with butter every day, by having the fries at lunch, by having the pizza on Friday, Saturday, by having that two big glasses of Oprah Winfrey-sized wine at nighttime. Those are, those are all sabotaging their oral hygiene. Their oral, their oral <laughs> I'm hygiene. like, wait, you can leave the wine off of there. It's everything else. You had her, you had her until the wine. <laughs> we all have our trouble spots. We all have oh, them. Yeah. Oh, for sure. So that's a good point. If it's If it's not you looking down on the patient right there in that moment saying you need to have a better diet, but you're just giving them some information that you learned from a source or a research article or a course that you were just at. That is a nice way to kind of break the ice a little bit. And I've heard, and as we, as this, have you heard of Stuart Wilde? He's a, he's an author, a new age author that passed away a couple of years ago. Stuart Wilde, really kind of bizarre there, a little on the fringe, uh, born in South Africa, but, uh, 
written some neat books about life and metaphysical life. And he said, um, when you go out and try and be evangelical and try and heal and change everyone, you become a wasted uh, you know, sock on the floor. He said, work and teach and lecture and share and treat people who want you. And all of a sudden, oh my God. And all of a sudden, then now you have a ready group of people who are yearning for your information. And it's not so devastating when you go home. So, so even though I might have you know, 1,800 active patients, um, even though I'm the fitness guy, I'm the wellness guy, I'm on TV in Toronto, um, and most of them know that, I don't shove it down their throats. I don't try and be their wellness savior. So what I do is, uh, when they ask, though, when they, when, they get, when they ask me a question, though, I'm sharing. But if they don't, guess what? There'll be a gentle piece of information and non-judgment. I would say I'm so non-judgmental because otherwise I never get invited out to dinner. <laughs> I never get invited out to coffee. So I'm a non-judgmental friend, and I do not food shame people. Even on Facebook, I will not food shame friends who show big desserts. I'm... They're not ready to. They're not ready to want help or guidance or my insight at that point. That's a good point because I. It's um, I kind of always go back to this one book I read for my master's program, which was Strength Finders, where it it kind of picked out five of your your strengths, and what it was saying is like if you're not a listener, your friends aren't going to come to you for you to listen to them. But if you're a teacher or an achiever or you're somebody that's proactive that could give them information that they need, they'll come to you for that. So it's almost the same thing when people see that you're living a lifestyle that maybe they weren't ready for at one point, but now they're kind of moving towards that. They'll come to you when they right. are ready to make that change. But, and I'm, I'm very much a food shamer or not so much a food shamer, like, oh, you're so fat. Why are you doing that? But like, oh my gosh, do you know what's in? I, they call me Michelle ruins everything. Cause I'm like, but I bet right there in that you have this much of this, this much of that. So oh, how do you feel about energy drinks? Um, they're a false sense of energy. It's like um, having uh, uh, that visa advance for your money. Sure, you might get $500 at the moment. But the payback is huge. So Am I, I anyone's feelings? Yeah, no, I, yes. I definitely threw Andrew under the bus on that one. <laughs> that's her way of food shaming me or drink shaming me. <laughs> I knew there was something there. I was picking up on the sig- I was picking up on the signal. <laughs> but um, you know what though? Energy drinks. Um, coffee's a major energy player. Like it's a it's a huge urgenetic aid in sports. Like so, we often think we need three coffees or taurine sugar, like, you know, a double Red Bull. But believe it or not, just a small styrofoam cup of coffee is enough to give you an advantage energy-wise. And it does last. Uh, if you're a slow caffeine metabolizer, believe it or not, genetically, I, did, I had a saliva test done by Pathway Genomics out of California a year ago. And so I'm a fast caffeine metabolizer. So I can, eat, I can drink a cup of coffee at 6, 8, 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night and still go to sleep. That's that will me. never change my whole life. If you're a slow caffeine metabolizer, you have coffee at four, midnight, you're tossing and turning. So you can't change that. So for you and me, though, an energy drink for you and me then might not be a big deal. But for a slow ca- caffeine metabolizer, they're going to be very sensitive to energy drinks. And they got to be very careful with that. So it's like the easy drunk. they got to be very careful with that second glass of wine. So an energy drink, I think, can be misused. Like if you're not getting seven to nine hours of sleep and you're using energy drinks as a crutch, it's definitely going to sabotage your adrenal glands over time 
it's going to pre- accelerate aging over time. So there's something to be said about um, getting seven to nine hours sleep. And if you're not, um, we wear a sleep mask. My wife and I, we have four oh, kids. I'm a 10, fan. <laughs> 10, 8, 4, and 20 months. We both wear sleep masks, earplugs. Um, we'll take one out if you know, one of the kids is sick or we know that they're, they're, they're a bit far away down the hall. But uh, Andrew, do you have children? or? Yeah, we have three of them. Okay, so, so I'm in the same boat as you. I'm, I'm working, I'm a dad, I'm doing all this extra stuff, and I'm challenged with sleep. But, um, but the energy drink that I use, though, and it's by a company, I don't have to name it here, though, um, it has, it's, it's infused, not with um, caffeine, a very strong amount of caffeine, it's by a green tea extract and yerba mate coffee. Have you heard of yerba mate? It's, um, no. it's a South American uh, a plant that is a more gentle, it gives you more sustained mental alertness than boom, a regular coffee. So it's green okay. tea and yerba mate coffee. Uh, it's called an e-shot if you want to know. So Yeah, yeah. Um, I do want to know that. So an e-shot. I had one today. I had one, I had one today. Believe it or not. No. <laughs> so I had one about maybe um, two o'clock. It's now nine o'clock in uh, mountain time. So I'm, go- I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing pretty good. You're doing pretty good. Um, doing pretty good. So... Because we are learning in the dental profession that we are not just teeth cleaners, teeth repairers, whatever it is, that we are looking at that whole oral systemic connection. And we're seeing that patient with bleeding. We're seeing that patient that can't get their mouth healthy, but we're also seeing that obese patient. How is this affecting sleep and how is the sleep affecting their mouth? Like how is this all connected that's a great question. I think um, they've shown that um, one night of six hours sleep, this is in the Canadian Medical Association Journal in 2010. So if you've slept in six, less than six hours last night, you're actually operating at a, at a 0.05 alcohol level the next day. So technically that person's legally drunk with six hours of sleep. So it affects your judgment. So it lowers inhibition. So you're less likely to choose better choices. You're more likely to sit on the couch than go for the walk. That's with six hours sleep. But on top of that, that they've showed that one night of sleep where you slept four hours, your NK cells, your natural killer cells, your white blood cells, are only 50% as strong the next day. So you're more open to um, uh, an infection or, or, or an infection. So here you are now having extraction done, or here you are having a scaling and root plating done. And on top of that, you're a shift worker. So you've had four hours sleep. Your, your NK cells are in half. You're more likely to have um, the, the sensitivity after the cleaning. You're more likely to have the abscess. After you're more likely to have um, the problem with a dry socket. You're more likely to have someone who has more pain after. So um, sleep affects everything. I, 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 it's it's one of my top, you know, three pillars of health. Sleep is one of them. Yeah, that's very interesting. So for our new grads, our students, our hygienists who are seeing those patients that are bleeding, they're trying with their home care. Two questions that they can ask is, how's your diet? How's your sleep? That's oh, so great. You know what? Hardly anyone asks about sleep. They might say any change in medical history. But if someone doesn't mention they're a new mom, or if someone doesn't mention that they're a shift worker, if someone doesn't mention I just got on the fire department, or I'm a police officer, and I'm an intern, and they say my diet's fine, I have no new meds, and you're scaling away, there's bleeding gums, they're puffing, you're thinking, and you start accusing them of not flossing, you start accusing them of using a manual brush instead of a power brush. And right away, people... Adults, if you're a manager of a bank, you're a CEO of a company, you hate being challenged, especially when you're telling the truth. But if you don't mention, 
how are you sleeping? Oh, they'll say horribly. And they'll say, how do you know? Well, I just heard recently on this, my a podcast for hygienists, right? And I just heard recently that if, if you're not sleeping well, you don't heal well. Or a, a night of disruptive sleep, your, your immune system is 50% as strong the next day. Or the Canadian Medical Station Journal said that you're operating at a 0.05 alcohol level the next day after sleeping less than six hours. And right away, the patient's thinking, you're pretty bright. Or that's the reason why I come here. That's why I want right. you to clean my teeth. Because I learn something new every time. So in my audiences, I'm always telling people, try and memorize those third-party references. Or the Canadian Medical Association Journal with the six hours. Or after four hours sleep, your immune system is 50% strong. Uh, try and memorize certain things. So patients love the fact that you know the numbers and names in the journals. Not to douse them with the science, but just to show that it's coming from a source other than you. And it's amazing how over the next two, three, four recare sessions, they start asking for you because they learn something new every time. And then two years later, guess what? I'm sleeping eight hours a night now. I got that sleep mask you mentioned four years ago. Or I got a trainer. I know you mentioned I should get a trainer, but it's the summertime now. It's six months since I talked to you in the years. But I now, now I got myself a trainer. And I've lost 10 pounds because of you. And now you're thinking, yes, it took six months. But guess what? You, you've made a patient for life probably. And I'm now helping them instead of shaming them back in January. It's taken six, nine months. And that's my, my horizon is long term. It's not to change their minds in two minutes because it never works unless they're really ready to change. I'm looking at a longer horizon for my area of influence. I think that's very smart. So we started the podcast out with talking about, you know, how we as professionals need kind of take care of ourselves if we're going to take care of our patients. Do you have any suggestions with the new year for hygienists and doctors and dentists? You know, it's an easy one. And I think you said, you said you love wearing a sleep mask. I do. do you wear one? I do. Andrew, you said you have one or? I do have one, but it's for traveling. I don't use it daily. You know what? Use it daily. It's, it's, it's the, the, visual, the visual part of the brain is a huge part to process information. And anytime you're getting light around the drapes or under the door or from your iPhone or Blackberry or for the computer or the fire detect, the fire alarm or the little green light on the, the TV or the microwave, mm -hmm. the brain, the, mel does, the, the, the pineal gland doesn't make as much melatonin. And melatonin is a huge part of your immune system. When you think of healing, patience, inflammation, I want a strong pineal gland that's making the most melatonin. So I wear an e-mask most nights. I have two or three of them. I'm either washing one or I'm repairing one or I'm buying a new one. But I wear them nightly. And it looks a little bizarre, but, you know, sometimes you got to do some bizarre things to get healthy. So, so I think a sleep mask could be the, one of the easiest things someone could do, this, you know, to start off the year is, is buy a $5, $10 a sleep mask. Oh, I love mine. Like, can't – it doesn't stay on my face all night long. <laughs> I don't know how I sleep sometimes. But I can't go to sleep without it. I do. I, I just – I love that thing. I asked also speaking of like sleep, I went to a, um, a breathing and myofunctional therapy course. Oh. Uh, I've been to quite a few of them in the last six months to a year. And I was seeing where they were, I definitely am a patient of myofunctional therapy. Like I need to be, my tongue does not rest at the roof of my mouth. Um, I'm a mouth breather. I, for sure, 100% have all the signs of a mouth breather and not good breathing at night. So I thought I was going to, I keep seeing that they're taping their mouth shuts to, to help just promote no, nasal breathing. 
And I was like, this is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. And then the second course I went to, I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to give it two weeks. I'm going to try it. I'm going to give it two weeks. So I go to bed, I have my sleep mask on and my mouth tape shut. It looks like I've been kidnapped. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I will say I did that probably four nights in a row and then traveled just for a night and didn't take my tape with me. And it was the most restless night's sleep that I had had in a really long time. And it was, I was waking myself up to my mouth opening. It was like my brain had already said, like was telling me like, no, that's not, that's not how we sleep. But I hadn't gotten to that point where I had stopped doing it. So I, you know, there's like little things, little habits and that like you're saying, sleep mask, easy. You can really make a difference. Any other suggestions for diet? Because I mean, if you had to say one or the other, would you try to give up a food or a liquid first? I would give up liquids. I'd rather eat my calories and drink them. And you might've known this already, but um, the the three things you can drink that are good for you, water is number one. And and, and people should make it complicated with reverse osmosis, Kangen, tap, filter, just water in general for one. Um, Green tea is amazing. Green tea is in health Canada is the only food or drink that's been uh, checkmarked as high antioxidant value as it was green tea. So I would start a green tea habit, one to two cups a day for sure. If it's a little bit bitter, and it's hot tea too. It's going to be steamed for five minutes is what they say to get all, all the catechins. The third, believe it or not, is coffee. People don't realize that every cup of coffee is a half a gram of fiber. And coffee drunk in black, and um, you can put a little bit of coconut uh, oil, if, uh, coconut fat if you want to. That's a little bit extreme for some, but just black. Or um, you can also put a whey protein powder, believe it or not, in. People don't realize you can put a little bit of whey protein powder. But that oh. might be able to for beginners. So let's just say black coffee for now because it feeds your gut flora. And that's a whole other show, gut flora. But the gut flora, which is 100 trillion cells in our body, there's only 10 trillion human cells. There's 100, 100 trillion bacterial cells, 80% of them in your gut. Coffee feeds and makes your gut flora happy. And the people with the most diverse gut flora, the people with the most um, variety in the gut flora are often they have the strongest digestion, have the best energy, um, have clear thinking. Because, you know, if someone's constipated, has diarrhea, has Crohn's or irritable bowel or nausea or reflux, they are usually emotionally not as together, you have to admit, you're not as emotionally tight as you are someone that has complete perfect digestion and everything's functioning well. So um, uh, so water, green tea and coffee, but that, that's that's water. Just let's, let's go with water being number one. And the other thing I'd say someone to do is um, a salad every day. If someone could just have a salad every day, doesn't matter what kind, just, just say every day I have a salad, even if it's 10 to 12 midnight. If you haven't had a salad, get a small cup and throw some kale and some, cut some slices of tomato up and just think of, I'm going to have a salad a day, every day, as most days as I can, and see where that takes me. It's amazing how when the body's getting what it wants, it craves other things not as well. Just like you need less Godiva chocolate to satisfy you than Hershey's Kisses, where you have 50 of them. I have two pieces of Godiva chocolate or 70% South American cacao chocolate i'm more satisfied than when i'm eating really inexpensive chocolate oh for sure i have those little nibs in my freezer all the time all i need is like a little teeny tiny one and i'm satisfied for the rest of the day for sugar and chocolate but that's those are very good suggestions and 
I think you're right. We could definitely have another podcast on gut flora and probiotics and that whole thing. I mean, I have always suffered from acid reflux and it, I can definitely tell like there's a fog. I have a brain fog when I, I know that my digestion is off and it's, it's very true. Let me just say one thing about digestion only because people often think of food, we often think of food emotionally, but one way to look at food, just to give the, the listeners another way to look at it is, is how do I want to look and feel later? Or how would I want to look and feel tomorrow? Or if I'm going to lecture all day, say if I'm lecturing six hours in another part of the country, and that morning meal, I will not have a croissant, bagels, a cream cheese, and a double egg McMuffin. Like I'm having food that's going to serve me well for six hours. If I'm, if I'm going to be in front of a thousand people, three hours in the morning, and 1,500 in the afternoon, I'm eating what's called a power breakfast. So, um, so organic oatmeal. I put some whey protein powder on. I'll put almonds in. I'll sip green tea. The treat for me is 70% dark chocolate. So I look at food as how it can serve me. And I almost do that all the time. How do I want to look and feel on vacation? How do I want to look and feel tomorrow? And it's a different way of thinking, though. But it, it, you start looking at food more mechanically than emotionally. It's amazing how you'll start mastering the kitchen better. And it's a, it's a slow change, though. It's a slow shift in perception. That's amazing over time. How do I want this meal to affect me? How do I want to look and feel later? No, I think that's like, perfect. And that makes sense, too. So when you, if you're a hygienist and you know you're going into maybe a day where you're working through lunch or you know you'll be working six hours straight, no breaks or anything, to make a smart choice at breakfast so that you can sustain for that, that amount of time and not skipping breakfast either. For sure. But there's things you can do also between patients, like even if um, a small handful of nuts and some dark, uh, two squares of dark chocolate, it could be sipping some green tea. And there's a huge placebo effect there. I don't think people realize the power of the brain just by thinking something. They've actually shown that um, 20% of all people who, who take the sugar pill or the or the, in the control group where they don't have anything, 20% of them report nausea or stomach upset. So they're actually not taking anything, but one in five people report stomach upset. So that's, that's a huge amount of part of our brain we can use in our favor. So if I'm having a really long day, a 12, my, my Tuesday is 12 hours, I will have you know almonds or dark chocolate at, between patients, I'll have a green tea. And in my mind, I'm feeding my brain, I'm feeding my body, I'm feeding my brain. I don't question, oh, is this rabbit food? Or am I doing the right thing? I'm feeding my brain. I'm feeding my body. It's amazing how that constant little diatribe is my cheerleader in the right direction rather than sabotaging me. It's all about perspective, right? <laughs> Change your perspective. Well, Andrew, you have any questions? Oh, I'm good. I'm good for now. <laughs> what, what, what kind of energy? Oh, can I see what kind of, what's your favorite energy drink, Andrew? Just out of, just be really transparent. What do you look yeah. The cheapest one possible. <laughs> is there a five-hour energy drink where you are? Is there five hours? There is, yeah. Okay. It doesn't seem to affect me very much. So it's either Rockstar, usually or Monster, are the two cheapest ones. Um, I don't really go Red Bull, just, I don't know. They're a little more expensive, usually. Okay. Because yeah. those, those Rockstar and Monster are pretty big drinks. Like They're big. They're but tall. If you went back to just plain black coffee, and if you did some cool things to it, like a lot of the athletes now are putting uh, coconut 
fat, like a teaspoon of coconut fat in or a half a teaspoon and a little bit of um, whey protein powder, vanilla whey protein powder, mix it up. Then you can almost consider it like a meal in a way because you're having protein, a bit of fat and the caffeine. And caffeine is an ergogenic aid. So that it'd be less costly, but also you're getting something that's good for your cells. Like every cup has a half a gram of fiber and you're getting the, the, a brain awakening effect too. And you're making your own energy drink. <laughs> That's a great tip. <laughs> okay. So are they? Are you using the whey protein like a cre- like a powdered creamer or something like that? Almost. Oh, just just the, the regular protein I would use in a smoothie. Mm-hmm. I would put like a teaspoon, just a teaspoon in, and it just changes the taste a bit. And it's still a bit of dairy, right? It's whey. Yeah. You know, but there are non-dairy protein powders. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's just whey only. But if someone's used to cream, you can put, you put a vanilla whey protein powder in. It's not just as creamer. I know. In Canada, they, they, we get 2% milk with mm-hmm. as a coffee whitener choice. But in America, though, it's all 10%. Have you noticed that it's all 10% wherever you go? Down no, here? I have not. I guess that's my oh, norm. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, in Canada, it's two, they give you 10% or 2%. Or many times, it's just 2%. So it's very light, non-fat yeah. um, uh, uh, milk. It's not, it's not cream. It's milk at all. So if you, if you do want a thicker, kind of creamier coffee... Um, some coconut fat in, like a teaspoon or half a teaspoon, or um, a half a teaspoon of um, vanilla whey protein powder. And that's, a lot of the athletes now are combining those as a fat burner to, to, uh, to feed their micro, to feed the bacteria, but also to give them energy and also get protein powder to get some protein at the same time. That's a great suggestion. I'm actually going to try that tomorrow with my <laughs> my cup of coffee. I'm going to have with uh, some of my protein powder. See how that goes. Vanilla though, actually chocolate might taste good too. But vanilla and the one that the ones that we use has a um, an eggnog for seasonal. Talk about seasonal. They have an eggnog flavored uh, protein powder. Hmm. So you can get creative. You can get very creative with this. For sure. Well, thank you again for being our return guest. Um, we definitely. So the last time we were talking about the pillars of health. And you mentioned that again. So we talked about breath. What would the second pillar be? Uh, sleep. Sleep. So okay. We kind of talked. Sleep is two. Yes, sleep is two. Um, nutrition is a third one because um, food basically is who you are. It's the building blocks of who you are. When you think of Michelle, if you didn't eat for 60 days, Michelle wouldn't be there. So your brain, your skin, your stomach, your muscles, your, that, the hand to hold a microphone, what you ate today, today and what you eat tomorrow supports everything you make. So food is fundamental. Um, managing stress isn't hugely important. Like that's amazingly important. Uh, physical activity is major important. Hydrating. That's your sixth. And my seventh one is oral hygiene or, uh, your oral care. Those are my, those are my seven pillars. I have airway, sleep, food, um, exercise, uh, breath, sorry, um, managing stress. And, um, sorry, I'm going to get seven. I need to have to put them down. And then obviously oral hygiene or your oral hygiene practices. But I have seven pillars altogether that I work with. Well, maybe the next time we can talk a little bit more on the second pillar and expand on that a little bit. But I think this is a wonderful way to start out our new year with all these uh, tips. And uh, I think you also make a great point for hygienists to keep track of those third-party articles and research that they find so that they can be they can speak very intelligently and educatedly, if that's a word, to the patient. 
It is not. You're going so well too, buddy. It's so good. It's a good close. And then listen, guys, uh, it's eleven o'clock my time. I just came back from Cuba. <laughs> Leave me alone. Um, so I think those are excellent points, and we really do appreciate you coming on and letting us start our new year out with all that great information. It's fun talking to you, and I think what people do, though, listeners, if they want to Facebook friend me, because um, and I think Andrew, you and I have Facebook friends, right? Are we? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so because people know I'm, I'm a wellness guy, I post fitness stuff all the time. I post nutrition stuff. So I don't shame anyone. I'm just sharing all the time. If, if they want to follow me, they won't get the posts. But I love giving these same – and it's not just the, the ordinary. I like to talk about the four types of exercise, um, the five reasons you need to sleep seven hours a night. So it's all researched. It's all you know referenced. But I love sharing all day. If I'm reading an article, I'm digesting it and putting out a little tweet on it. So but Facebook is my, my go-to place. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. But I love sharing because when I share – it drives deeper into my own brain and I get it at a deeper level. That's, that's perfect. And we'll put all that in the show notes for sure. Sure. Well, thank you again. And uh, we look forward to having you back on. Okay. Take care. Listeners. I want to tell you a story, a story I found on the web, which makes this scaling the web with Andrew. This week on Scaling the Web with Andrew, I have actually something that is a quick one. It is just a website, and it's called talesofdentalhygieneguide.blogspot.com. And I actually don't know his name. I met, well, I didn't really meet him officially, but on Hygiene Town. And so he started a blog. I believe he is a dental hygiene student. And I think he's in Pennsylvania. And so let me just read a couple quick um, introductory like blog posts that he put. He's a blogger and he's in hygiene school? I think so, yeah. Um, How do you have Dental time? Hygiene Program Orientation Day. He posted about that. Um, Let's see how long. How long about... does this go through? Until oh, you hit started. the real hard stuff? Okay. I was like, no. there's going to be a moment where you're just like, well, that was fun. <laughs> Who cares anymore? Um, he did a post about the second year dental hygiene students table clinic 2016. And he did a post about, um, well, no, so he is new. He says first year, first semester down. So I just finished the first semester. And so he talks about that a little bit. He talks about um, his thoughts on evolution of the toothbrush and free goodies in hygiene school, which mm. I think was like an oral B that they got. And then his last post, which was actually a pretty, pretty well-written, understanding kind of what else he's got going on in his life. Um, it was called Dental Hygiene School Admission Essay where he talks about um, someone who had written him and asked him some questions about, you know, kind of how the program was going. And then, you know, just like, hey, how do I get in a program kind of tech questions that we always mm-hmm. get. And so, yeah, so we answer all that. It's pretty good. And and here's my, my guess, my plea to our listeners. There's going to be a lot of this type of stuff going around um, where there's a lot of blogs and a lot of Facebook groups, Facebook pages, and things that we're going to ask you guys to check out. 
And it might not be your cup of tea, but maybe go there and support them as a hygienist anyways. Yeah. And be cool. Be cool. That's all I'm asking. Just I mean, because cool, this, this guy, I mean, he's in school. You, you got to remember what it was like to be in school. It, like, it sucks. So, again, the, the website is talesofdentalhygieneguy.blogspot.com. Fine. Maybe we should have him on. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Moving on. It's about that time. Grab your blanket and a glass of wine. It's story time with Michelle. Okay, so we are going to do an article this week for Storytime with Michelle called Comparison of Marginal Bleeding Using a Periodontal Probe or an Interdental Brush as an Indicator of Gingivitis. Does this pique your interest at all? Yep. Fine, shut up. I found this because I was watching um, Dr. James Highland. He's in a Canadian dentist. I really want him to be on the podcast. Um, he works with Aura Vital, the DNA testing, and they mm. talk about using interdental brushes or like soft picks or easy picks or something like that to determine gingival health and bleeding. Because the moment you stick a probe in there, the patient sees bleeding. They're like, well, you poked me, you know, you know, exactly. that age old yeah. like thing that, patients say to us. So I started like investigating this a little bit more. So the introduction in a, in plaque induced periodontal disease, the initial host response to the plaque challenge is overt gingival inflammation. This inflammation process often begins in the interdental areas with bleeding on probing as the first clinical sign of disease. The measurement of gingival inflammation through use of a gingival of a bleeding index may, however, not be entirely objective. A number of factors have been shown to influence the outcome of bleeding on probing, such as probing angulation, probe insert, insert, insertion, depth. It's midnight, guys, sorry. Direction of probe movement and probe force. The Eastman Interdental Bleeding Index, which employs a wood stick slid horizontally between the teeth, apically to the contact area, has been validated against the gold standard of bleeding on marginal probing and is free of the above-mentioned probing weaknesses. While this gingival bleeding index has been used in previous studies, it may also, by virtue of the shape and rigidity of the wood sticks employed, have an inherent trauma potential. Therefore, the study was undertaken to evaluate the use of interdental brushes, which are a common and effective oral hygiene aid, regularly recommended and demonstrated for use in home care procedures in assessing marginal bleeding. And to validate this procedure against the use of periodontal probe and the marginal and the bleeding on marginal probing index, it is our hypothesis that there will be no difference in the marginal bleeding measured by the bleeding on interdental brushing and the bleeding on marginal probing index. All right. So here's the discussion. Oh, by the way, this is from the International Journal of Dental Hygiene. It is from 2011. Um, it looks, yeah, August of 2011. So the discussion is, the goal of the study was to evaluate the use of interdental brushes for assessing marginal bleeding and correlate the resulting bleeding on provocation to the bleeding provoked by the use of the periodontal probe when performing the bleeding on marginal probing index. The bleeding provoked by both methods was also examined for any correlation to the plaque accumulations present. 
The overall correlation of 0.73 between bleeding provoked by a periodontal probe exerting lateral pressure on the inner inner sulcus wall and an interdental brush depressing the buccal and lingual papilla was statistically significant. This correlation was even stronger than the results presented by um, Baron Baron Grit at all, who calculated a correlation of 0.62 when they compared bleeding using a wood stick as originally described. The reasons that an interdental brush provided a higher degree of correlation to the probing depth than a wood stick can only be speculated upon given the limitations of the study. However, it seems reasonable that an interdental brush chosen correctly will provide a greater surface area contact moving against the inner non-keratinized call epithelium as well as provi- as as well as provide a broader depression of the papillary tissues. I, t- I say this all the time, but I can't find much research on it. Um, the, in this study, the interdental brushes selected for use were less thickly wound than most types of found available for home use. The central wire was also thinner than standard interdental brush wires, allowing atraumatic insertion in the interdental space as small as 0.6 millimeters. Five different brush sizes with filaments diameters of up to 5 millimeters were available for selection. So the conclusion was the correlation between the bleeding on marginal probing and the bleeding on interdental brush probing or use shows that a marginal bleeding assessment performed with interdental brushes can be considered as a valid method for assessing gingivitis. The advantages, excuse me, the advantages of using an interdental brush to test for bleeding, including include atraumatic manipulation of the papilla ease of application integration into existing oral hygiene instruction and motivating patients to monitor their own progress at home while at the same time performing a beneficial oral hygiene procedure and removing any interdental plaque that may be present. What are your thoughts and feelings on that? I have many. Oh, okay. (laughs) Okay. No, I mean, not really that many. So one, when they're actually doing the test, they were comparing it to, and they're saying, "Okay, it's it's significant." Was it because they were probing first, waiting for a little bit, and then using this brush and seeing if they both made if they made the same spot bleed? Here, like, how does that to, part work? I'll go to methods and materials. Sorry, listeners, shouldn't ask that question. Now she's going to talk more. Yep, sorry, sorry for you. Uh, 64 consecutive volunteers who presented with gingival inflammation were recruited at their semi-annual recall uh, appointments for the study. All were pre-screened for the exclusion criteria of pocketing of 4 millimeters and or plaque and bleeding scores 30% at their last appointment. Current papillary recession, 50%, was less than 50%. Using the scale described by uh, GEMPT 1997, um, if any, or if about smoking, so they, if it had to be less than 10 cigarettes a day. The goal and methodology of the study were explained. Patient persist- participation was requested and from those willing to participate, informed consent was obtained, blah, blah, blah. Okay, standard collection data undertaken by one investigator included review of medical histories, bleeding index, plaque index, and intraoral photos. In the study, the clinic's standard bleeding on probing index was replaced with the bleeding on interdental brush and bleeding on marginal probing and a split mouth test design. 
contralateral quadrants were randomly assigned to the test and control groups. Sites in the test group were subjected to one pass through with the light interdental brush placed buckly just under the contact point and guided between the teeth with a jiggly motion, taking care not to exert <laughs> force. That is the actual term, yeah, actual term used. <laughs> if the brush met any resistance, a smaller brush was substituted and the insertion procedure was repeated. The control sites were tested with a periodontal probe inserted two millimeters into the gingival sulcus, tipped to 60 degrees, and swiped horizontally, once from the buccal and lingual palatal line angles to the middle call area. And both the test and con control sites bleeding was scored as either present or absent for each interdental site within each quadrant after 30 seconds. There you go. All teeth were then disclosed and the presence of plaque was graded using the O'Leary plaque index. Photos were taken with an intraoral camera to document papillary height and all sites were then probed to confirm that no patients with pocket depths exceeding four millimeters were included in the study. Does that answer your question? Yes, it does. My next question, or my next comment, is can you read one more time about the benefits where it talks about if you're checking with an interdental brush, then you can also like incorporate the hygiene instruction and all that kind of stuff? Oh, yeah. So the advantages of using an interdental brush to test for bleeding included atraumatic manipulation of the papilla, ease and of application, integration into existing oral hygiene instruction and motivating patients to monitor their own progress at home while at the same time performing a beneficial oral hygiene procedure and removing any interdental plaque that may be present. That's pretty good. That's pretty solid. But tell me what the clinical application would be for this, for this in general. Um, teenagers, people, you know, six or 15 and under that you're not probing on. Is that what we're looking at? Um, no, I think honestly, anybody who, any, for me, if I had to probably apply it in an everyday clinical setting, it would be those people who don't, that all either have that thing. I, you poke me. That's why I'm bleeding. I brush and floss yeah. at home. Like, well, okay. Yeah. So let's, let's just look. I only bleed when I come here. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to do this. This is just a brush. I want you to do it at home too. So here's that. I think you could probably really start to use that, use your critical thinking to find, if you can't make that your everyday and get that papillary bleeding score every time mm. you see a patient, then pick and choose depending on a need or a conversation or a level of motivation, you know, because... The whole, well, you're poking me with sharp instruments. Well, I mean, you could spend all day saying that this is a blunted probe and how bleeding happens. But if you use just right. a bristle of a brush or an easy pick or a soft pick or something of that that's going to compress the papilla slightly just enough so that it produces gingival or bleeding, that's, that's easy. And they can do that at home as well. Well, I love it. Well, Good thanks. job, Michelle. Way to be. Way to be. Way to you. be, right? All right. Well, this was yeah. a great episode. What a way to start the new year. Yay. 
Bye. Happy New Year. Bye, y'all. But I missed you so much. <laughs> Dude, and my hair. My hair. Look at that hair. Yours, your I hair think is ridiculous. Also, look, at, look how high my hairline is. You're not looking. Michelle, look. I'm look, not. Michelle. Okay. Michelle, look. Wow, look. let me go back. Look how Jesus high that is. Lord. Hold on. Then, boom. And what if are you, you planning on doing looks, with this? It almost looks like I'm balding because like it's so thin like right up in the front where my bangs are. You got are. a cowlick. I do got I got two cowlicks, so, got one on each side. But what, um, what, what's the end game here? I don't know. Uh, my well, the end game is I'm gonna make my wife tell me to cut it because she won't tell me to cut it. Why? Has um, why won't she tell me to cut it, or why do I want yeah. her to tell me to cut it? Well, both, I guess. Okay. Um, okay. Are so are they not one and the same? They're not. So I want her to tell me to cut it because I want her to understand that she's my wife and she can tell me to do things and it's going to be okay with me. But she's like, no, it's your body. You can do whatever you want. And I'm like, okay, I get that. However, like you have to look at it. And she's like, no, I support you. I love you. Blah, blah, blah. All that garbage, supportive crap. And so I'm like, you know fine, that I'm going to grow it out. You're bitching about what most men wish. Yeah. No, I know. I would tell you to cut that hair in four seconds flat. Like, I know. You look like an idiot. I know. Get rid of it. Well, I think and I'm like some so level. lucky, and you're all you want is her to do the opposite. See, no, the grass is not always greener. No, yeah, no, it's not. And it's let's be honest, like this, it's hair. <laughs> so it's not like it's like, hey, can I get a tattoo on the side of my face? Sure, <laughs> or no, you can't. <laughs> but um, but I just I want like her to like take, take a stand. My face. Yeah, why not? But she won't. She won't take a stand. She's like, I support you. I love you, yada, yada. So I told her that I was going to you know, grow it out. I was going to get a man bun. But I think now the new one is I think I'm going to get it long enough and I'm going to permit. Because you hate Thanks. yourself? You could have that. All right. So we're ready to do okay. scaling the way, or mine, whatever it is called these days. I don't know. What? Yeah, I mean, you're not really... You're not really good at this anymore. You used to be really good. At what? My at story time? Like, <laughs> yeah, you're like, my scaling... Wait, what do I call my thing again? What? What is this thing? All right, I got it. I'm good. Good. Okay, and it's midnight, so I won't yeah. hold you if it if you breathe, breathes, breathes past it. Thanks.